Every woman has a story. Every story matters. For so long, women have hidden from their stories when in fact they are the very thing that makes them shine. Welcome to the Ruby Slipper Women podcast. I am Rosie Nerney, your podcast host, mother of four, multi-million dollar direct sales business owner, truth bomb expert and domestic violence survivor. Join me and a wide range of inspiring women as we follow down the yellow brick road of life with growth challenges and ultimately discovering our ruby slippers and coming home to ourselves. All the power you need is within you. It always has been. You just had to find it for yourself. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Ruby Slipper Women podcast. I'm really, really excited to introduce you to our special guest today. Her name is Lucy Bloom. Lucy is an award-winning leader and speaker. She's a changemaker, exceptional communicator and business fixer with the best mohawk in the business. Lucy led an advertising agency for 20 years before she became the CEO of a brand new women's health organization funding a network of hospitals in Ethiopia. She then went on to transform a Cambodian children's charity as its first CEO. She is the creator of the world's first childbirth education program for men running local pubs all over Australia and she's the first and only Aussie named in the world top 30 hashtag social CEOs. Lucy's top-selling memoir, Get the Girls Out, was published by HarperCollins in 2019 to rave reviews. You will find her challenging and entertaining in equal measure with humour tied into a powerful business message. Lucy Bloom is a rule breaker, idea maker and momentum creator and she's also a mum of three. Welcome, Lucy. I'm so, so excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So, you know, I chatted to you a little bit before. The the concept of the podcast is the Ruby Slippers from The Wizard of Oz. So I wanted to talk to you about your journey from when you were in the concept of Kansas, which I'll go over, and then on the Yellow Brick Road. So share with us a little bit about Kansas for you. So Kansas being your default life where you're not really living on your terms, you're just kind of like going with the default that we all sort of start off with. Sure. It was such a, such a creative idea. Um, my Kansas, I probably had two stages of default life or my Kansas uh, where I was just stuck with what I had. I wasn't really forging my own way. And initially that was when I had a massive motorcycle accident my first year out of high school. And so I was forced into a default that I had no power over. And I was in hospital in and out for a year. I had 14 reconstructive operations. Oh, and wow. that really put life on hold. And I was, I was travelling at high speed before that. I really was. My life was very um, high-paced. I had tonnes of energy. I was full on. I partied hard. I worked hard. And that motorcycle accident just brought things to a screaming halt. And it was dull as anything. I had my accident before the internet and <laughs> any decent day. And I take quite a year in hospital. It was the boredom that killed me. More than yeah. Me. Honestly thought I was going to die of boredom before I was 
was really going to lose my leg. And I did lose my leg, which is good, but far out the boredom is just soul crushing. And one of the things I, I did to get through that year was I could have lain in that hospital bed and worried about losing my leg. You know, as a 19-year-old, I had the best legs. And the thought of losing a limb and becoming an amputee just mm. horrified me to the core. And I could have spent all my energy and brain brain capacity worrying about that. But instead, I fantasised about what my life would look like after I got out of hospital. So I spent stacks of time literally fantasising about, I was going to do a motorcycle trip across America. I bought maps and Lonely Planet guides and just dived into the trip planning and the, the fantasy of that idea. And I planned, uh, I wanted to create my own advertising agency. Wow. That's actually what I went on to do. I only had eight months experience in the industry, but who cares? Yeah. And uh, so, so I had that time in hospital where I had no choice. I just had to get better and save this limb but I did lots of planning for the future. And I still do that. I do that now when I can't sleep or when I'm a bit anxious about something. I push my brain. You have to actually kind of force your thoughts because your thoughts naturally go towards keeping you safe, so worrying mm. about what can go wrong. So I force my thoughts to think about other things. When I'm nervous about a speech the night before, if it's brand new content, I get, I get nervous and I'm going over it in my mind and I can't sleep. And that doesn't help me give a good performance the next day. And so I imagine myself finishing that speech to a round of applause, a standing ovation. It goes over so well. And then the person who booked me walks on stage with one of those massive novelty checks for a hundred grand. <laughs> so, I love it. <laughs> and and it makes me feel really good. And I actually picture myself going home on the train with this big ass check. Yeah. And and then I'm and then I tend to fall asleep and then I wake up and then I'm go, go, go to get through this gig. So it's actually taught me some cool skills. Yeah. The next yeah. time in my life, which was my Kansas, I guess I had made a whole lot of grown up decisions and then I had to live with them for a long, long time. So I got married very young and I built this advertising agency. And then I literally built a house in the suburbs with too many bathrooms to clean and a, and a pool and lawn to mow. And I made all the, and, and then I spat out three kids out my badge. And next thing <laughs> I knew, I had this monstrous workload of a domestic life that I created for myself. Mm. And it was everything I did, but the reality of it was actually bone crunchingly hard work. It was a lot less fun then, you know, when you're a kid, everything's so much fun. Holidays oh, yeah. just happen and lunch yep. just like lands on the table and you go to the yep. beach and then you fell. Yeah. <laughs> when you're a mum, yep. you're the poor mofo making that stuff happen and those, yep. those holidays at the beach aren't actually much fun at all. <laughs> and so that was very much a, a solid decade of Kansas of default life where I was living with the decisions I had made very young, decisions mm. I wanted, money I wanted to spend. Uh, and then uh, it was in my early 40s when my marriage ended that I, I really rethought that because I had the opportunity. I didn't want this opportunity. I didn't want the divorce. I left that marriage kicking and screaming. <laughs> didn't want it at all. But I couldn't help myself. I had to fantasise about what I would do next. And I used it as an opportunity to reshape my life. Now that I'm – I figure I'm a grown-up now. I'm 45. So I'm a grown-up now and I can make – a better set of decisions for my life. So that is not building a massive five-bedroom house with mountains of work to look after it and um, keeping my life simpler. 
and doing for a living something that is quite flexible. So I can turn my career on and off if I need to. I can actually raise these kids rather than being locked in an office and having to pay for them to go on camps during the school holidays. Yeah. Around that was a not a good way to. The agency was wonderful, and I owned it, so life was flexible. But I've made my my life much more flexible now, so I can go. Okay, this week at school holidays, the only thing I'm doing this week is that podcast with Rosie, and 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 life is much more sustainable, and I'm yep. much happier. I'm so much happier, and honestly, I have to give my ex husband a high five for forcing me into that divorce. Because I would still be the biggest misery guts. We would still be living in a big-ass castle in the burbs. Yep. And I would just be tolerating that level of misery because that's what my life had been for 20 years. We're married mm. for 20 years. Wow. And it was, it was okay, but it wasn't rich and fun. And, and you, know what, you know what it's like with little kids. They just yeah. take the life of you, out of you and you do, yep. you do those hard yards when they're little. But once they weren't so little and they were all at school, it was it. I was bored to snores, and I found mm. myself. I had a job as a CEO um, of a network of uh, that funded a network of hospitals and midwifery school in Ethiopia. So I found myself on a plane to Ethiopia at any opportunity because the burbs. Honestly, in January, everyone goes on holidays, and there's like tumbleweed rolling down the street. Yeah, and I'm just bored out of my brain. So now I live by the beach, and in summer everyone heads to the beach and it's yeah fun and there's always something to do and so I've given you a very long Kansas answer but those are my two periods of my life where I was on default not so yeah. happy but I came out the other side with fabulous plans so then <laughs> well I think they're like awesome um and so getting onto the yellow brick road then so what was the what was the kind of I find most people that I interview have got this kind of point well I mean I guess you might have even talked about it when you were yeah. in hospital you had this yeah you did you had the point where you were like I'm not in Kansas and I'm not going to be there anymore so what am I going to do to take my life forward so you've already talked about that like when you're in hospital it was the boredom and like I'm not going to let the boredom win yeah and I'm I, I actually don't know what triggered that in me but I'm so glad it did and maybe if it had been after the internet and I'd been occupied and just spent a year on social media chatting to my friends and sending them gory pictures mm. of my friends, mm. I might not have been forced to really control my thoughts and where they headed. Mm. And so I'm kind of grateful for that. It was Absolutely. the best year ever. And time yeah, I can imagine. It. But it taught me this skill and it has been so valuable to mm, me. So definitely. That horrid accident and I've got gnarly scars um, that, uh, yeah, that, I, <laughs> it really did reshape a lot of my body and my life. Um, but I'm actually grateful for what I learned. Yeah. Definitely. And then um, the yellow brick road trigger, I guess, was my husband asking for a divorce, which was not what I wanted. Yeah. But sometimes things you don't want end up being... Fabulous. Yeah, yeah. It it does seem to work out that way when you're in and in it at the time though. It's really shit. Like oh, yeah. my um my I've just had a few things sort of going lately, and I've I've got a life coach, and I was talking to him about it, and he was like, "Rosie, you just have to sit in the suck right now." I was like, "But I don't want to sit in the suck," and he's like, "Well, tough," <laughs> because yeah. that's what's happening right now. Um, yeah, but from that often comes the good 
That's right. But you it's, can't you've got predict to, yeah. the good. So honestly, that that night when he said to me, Lucy, I want a divorce and this time it's happening. He'd asked me a year earlier and I went as if. Yeah. And he said, this time I, I want a divorce. I have seen a, a glimpse of a life I want to lead with somebody else. Once he said there was somebody else in the picture, I felt there was no more negotiation left and no time buying. And at that moment, I never imagined what my life could look like. Now I'm at the four-year mark post that night and I could never have imagined how awesome my life could look. So Mm. I was kicking and screaming partly on behalf of my kids because I didn't want to put them through uh, this whole horrid future that I predict that I figured they'd have to go through I thought we needed to do the hard work as the grown-ups in the situation but had I had a glimpse of or a picture of what my life could be now and how happy my kids could be strangely enough living across the houses I wouldn't have I guess I wouldn't have kicked so hard so life can be so much more glorious than you can ever imagine and actually this is a a theme that I, I didn't think I would cover so deeply but I do in my memoir the idea that we create bucket lists of awesome things we want to do in our lives the concept being that you only get one life to do every single thing you will ever do so what are those things that you want to you want to knock off before you're knocked off and we put these things on on our bucket lists but life is actually so much more interesting and delicious and delightful and glorious and creative and hilarious Crazy crap happens to me I could never invent inside my head. Yeah. <laughs> and I could never think to put things like that on a bucket list. Yeah. So it's more a, like, great, write a bucket list. And I do have one and I've got lots of cool things I still want to do. Like I want to go to the Oscars and stuff like that. Mm. But to be open to life and to say yes to things. Like I should have just said to my poor long-suffering husband, yes, have that divorce. Let's do this nice and smoothly instead of kicking and screaming for a solid six months Mm. Um, because I should have said yes. I should have been open to it and then let the new glorious life unfold. Mm. That's kind of exciting that when you are stuck in that Kansas, when life is on default, when it's kicking you in the vag, when people are letting you down, when plans are not going the way you had envisaged from the time you were a little girl or a little boy, that actually saying yes to new adventures or new twists in the path can can sometimes open up a much more glorious life than you could ever think of. So that's pretty yep. reassuring. And, of course, this cancels out things like horrid health, you know, some terrible health tragedy befalls you and your family. You know, those those paths are very, very, very difficult to navigate. The paths I've had to navigate were were easier than some that others do Mm. but uh, I think when you're open and you say yes glorious things happen absolutely you're very much like in your ruby slippers then like you you can hear it in the way you speak you know that you've got that power within you to create the life that you want even though you I mean we all have times where we you know drop in and out of canvas or Kansas and we're on the yellow brick road and we might not realize that our you know we have that power within us we have our ruby slippers on our feet but the way you're speaking like you know you've got that so was there ever a state I mean you've gone through stages as you said where those cancer stages but do you still go through that now where sometimes you're like you know you've got it within you but you 
struggle with like the doubt or stuff like that that comes to try and keep you playing small? Yes, definitely. And I find this is really strange, but the less I exercise, the more I doubt myself, which is so strange. So strange because I'm not a gym junkie type person at all. But the less I move my body, the more sedentary my life, the more I doubt myself. How bizarre is that? So I do a whole speech called Hormone Hacks for a Juicy Life because if there's certain ways you treat your body, you'll pump out hormones that make you feel absolutely fantastic and, frankly, invincible. And so I just do that. And uh, and I'm also, you know, I know what my where my talents lie and then I don't let anyone tell me I'm not good at what I know I am good at. So, yeah. I, you know, sometimes I sometimes, – <laughs> Actually, about a year ago, I had a partner. He lived with me for a year and he told me I was a shit speaker and that my Uh story, he said, oh, your stories don't interest me. I would never sit through that. And for about a minute, that really hit me hard. And then I remembered something that uh, that Brené Brown said. She said, you get a square inch piece of paper on which you get to write the names of the people whose opinions matter to you. And I've got big writing. So that yeah. boy, Ben, did not make it onto my little parent piece of paper. He's a yep. English was a second language, never been to a conference in his life, never booked a speaker in his life, totally not my market. So yep. he doesn't get to have an opinion on me. He can have one, but, like, he can go and tell the beach. Don't tell me. So I'm yep. just very – I curate who I ask feedback from and I honestly just do not take in the feedback from people who I know don't live on that little square inch piece of paper. Mm, I love Brene and I think that's so powerful. I work with a lot of women and the things that I come up against with them is a lot of that, like just they're worried about judgment or they're worried about what other people will say or do or think if they do A, B, C, D or E. Um, And it's just like going, well, it doesn't matter. Decide who you're going to have as your critics. Yes. And if it's not one of them giving the opinion, then it doesn't and matter. And if not, they're not, Brené Brown says this too, if they're not in the arena getting sweaty alongside yep. you, they don't, don't yep. listen to them. So, yeah, they're the cheap seats yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. I've had, to, yep. uh, I've had to really work hard at not caring what other people think because I have made some pretty bold moves in my life and some people might not agree with those, but I don't care. And every time I feel... I feel that lapsing. Uh, I have a, a, two really great friends and one in particular lives in Sydney and if I have any worries, um, any concerns, I run them past her. And last time I did that, someone who I did, their opinion did matter to me, was quite critical about, I can't remember what it was now, I can't remember what they were criticising. And I, I told my bestie about this and she screenshot one of my Instagram posts. Oh, damn it. <laughs> and said damn it. it to me. And it was a quote out of my own book which said, <laughs> the day I stopped caring what other people think of me was a really good day. And she, that's, she yeah. didn't say a word. She just sent that back at me. I was like, yeah, shut up. I need to go for a run. Yeah. Really. So <laughs> I also think there are people sitting around judging me, I, I, I worry for them. Like, go and do mm. something interesting rather than I love that. Than cons- concerning yourself whether I'm meeting your standards or, yep. or for, I, don't, I just give it so little bandwidth. 
Uh, and I cover a fair bit of that in my book. There's a whole chapter called On Yes, Saying Yes. And mm. I was worried about what other people would think if I jumped into the online dating scene once I became single. I really worried about that. So I kept it super under wraps. And then I thought, why am I, why am I even doing that? And if I don't keep that under wraps, then it paves the way for others to go, yeah, we met on Tinder. Who cares? Mm. Yeah. And so I've, it, but that has taken some work. It's a slippery beast <laughs> to shake. So when you, when you say it's taken some work, what does that look like for you? It takes me reminding myself and that other people don't get to have an opinion and owning my own story. So Ben, that gorgeous boy who lived with me for a year, who had a stupid opinion of my speaking, went on yep. Tinder, hottest boy, oh, my goodness, he made my eyeballs ache. He was so attractive. <laughs> But he didn't want anyone to know, super traditional background, Muslim family, didn't want anyone to know we'd met on Tinder. And I said, I'm not going to lie to people because, A, I've got a shit memory and I'm not going to remember we lied to people. (laughs) And, B, it's our story. We met on Tinder. And and what I I love owning the fact that his photos were terrible and I recognised that actually there was a really good-looking boy inside some really crappy photos. Yeah. And we, we lived together really happily and we had a really, really fun year together and I wasn't going to lie about it, not own it. And so I, it's sort of taken people along for the ride too. And yeah. So, yeah, Ben eventually, if people said we'd be me, he'd say it as chirpily as me. Tinder! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's oh. fun for other people to go, yeah, okay, it's not um, a hush-hush thing that's not allowed to be. Spoke but it's just challenging the social norms. Like that's the only way we're going to evolve. Yeah, and I do find it's by... fun. Um, and I find yeah, like... my mum's a Baptist pastor and I like running things like that past her and um, seeing how long <laughs> how <much> it goes. <laughs> oh, I can, yeah, I'm sure that would provide you with lots of entertainment. <laughs> um, oh, dear. Yeah, so challenging social norms is a good exercise in testing and kind of I call it testing your nerves. Do something that feels a little bit uncomfortable and you actually you actually exercise that resilience muscle. Mm. Test your nerve. Tell someone and something that you think is challenging a social norm and just own it. Um, but then when you do it too and you get to the other side and you realise, okay, I'm still alive. And nobody cares. I haven't died. Nobody cares in a bad way. They don't. And if you do, yeah. Yeah, they've got little brains and and you don't need to worry about their tiny, weeny little brain. When I was um, brand, uh, rebranding to the Ruby Slipper Women, I looked up some quotes that, that I could use with the branding and one from the Scarecrow says, people with, um, people with no brains do an awful lot of talking. Yeah. And, yeah, and I looked at that quote and I was like, this is it. This is the brand I'm running yeah. with because that quote is – because it's so true. Yeah. And the less um, you talk, so, the more you learn. You yeah, learn so much absolutely. From other people. I say that about judgment. If you can drop your judgment pants, yeah. leave your judgment pants at home, you will learn so much by just being mm. – opening your mind. Your brain won't fall out. It's okay if you open your mind. And leave the judgment pants at home. You learn so much. I never imagined that I would have a partner who was had a Muslim background, and I learned so much from him. Um, yeah. From you know coming from a country like Iran, what goes on in Iran? He actually taught me a lot about um, the way, not the way we treat asylum seekers, but how hard it is to get into Australia. 
he said, honestly, if it was easier, he said there'd be 20,000 Iranians arriving here every day. Yeah, right. So he said that it, the borders should be hard to cross. It should be incredibly difficult to get here. He said if there were 20,000 extra Iranians here every day, he said, see this, because I live at Kudji Beach, Yeah, it would be trashed. <laughs> yeah. Iranians are used to trashing Iran. So he, yeah. was, he taught me a lot about that. I thought, wow, I hadn't actually looked at it that way. Yeah. Drop your judgment pants. You open your mind and you shut up and listen. Far out, you learn so much. Yeah, well, it is. It's how you learn. I think dropping judgment is one of the best things that anyone can do for themselves. Yeah. Uh, right. For their own growth. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. So, what would you say to women who are really like, they, okay, they're like, yeah, okay, I get your concept, got ruby slippers, but. I just have no idea how to how to make it work for me. What would you say to women who are really struggling to like step into their own power and own who they are? Uh, I reckon they need a bestie, a bestie who doesn't have a judgmental bone in their body, uh, a bestie who is going to be a good sounding board. So I was really lucky that I had a really good friend who just a couple of months after me, her marriage ended. So we kind of went through that those initial horrible months together. Both had three yeah. kids. Both lived in the same boring old suburb. Uh, so we had, I, I joke that we grieved by checking out the bottom of a lot of wine bottles and a lot of dance floors. And, and, and we kind of looked after each other but in a totally non-judgmental way. Mm. So that's a, a really, really important thing to go looking for. And you probably already have that friend. And you need to limit how many people I, I have to say, you know, you need to debrief on things when something yep. totally fabulous happens. One of those things that, you know, you can't really tell everyone, you know what I'm getting at. Yes. You've got a friend you can debrief with. You've got to be satisfied with just that one debrief. Sometimes I feel icky, yep. like I want to tell another person and I have to remind myself, no, you've got Davinia. She's enough. <laughs> Yeah, because because yep. uh, people are gossips, and sometimes people can't handle your amazingness too. Mm-hmm. They just mm-hmm. that one person that you really trust, who is totally non-judgmental, and be that person for them. Then I I think that advice about having that square inch piece of paper really limit the opinions that you care about, and just persist. I learnt this from Lane Beachley. She told me that just before she won her very first world title, she has eight, eight world Mm. champion surfing titles. Just before she won her very first world title, she almost gave up professional surfing. She'd had it. The Mm. pro tour is really hard going. It's shit money until you start winning. And for women, it's so hard. And she was so close to giving up on the pro tour just before her first world title. And that gives me, yeah. I just gave myself goosebumps telling me that. And now she's mm. eight and she has done so incredibly well. No other female surfer has, I don't, actually don't even think any other male surfer has achieved the number of world records that Lane Beachley has. So whenever I feel like giving in, I think about Lane. I've also got a bracelet that says on it, you've got this. And I actually bought mm. it for a friend. <laughs> she's got big paws and it didn't fit over her hands. And so, <laughs> I've got poo-pooed hands and so I kept it. And so I've got this little bracelet that says, you've got this. And when I'm feeling like, oh, this is tough, I read that and go, yeah, actually, you do. So little things like that I actually find just push me along. 
Uh, I also find with my work, I need, I'm, I don't have brilliant discipline. Honestly, I live by the beach. If the beach looks pretty, yeah. I'm there. And so <laughs> I've had to set up a few structures to push me along. And so I have an office, you know, co-working space in the CBD. And then yeah. even that wasn't really gluing me to my desk. So I hired two interns and that's worked brilliantly <laughs> because I've got to keep them working. I've got to set an example. <laughs> And so they usually get here before I do and uh, and it's been brilliant for my productivity. I've got these two young media students looking up to me who need to learn stuff, who need workflow to keep them busy. So I've got to be mm. here and mm. and my productivity has gone through the roof. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm not always as disciplined as I'd like to be so I set up little structures that force but yeah, you've just recognised recognised your weaknesses and done something about it. Yeah, and set it up so. And I'm a bit of set a it up so that so yeah, can't bear wasting money. And I paid for three months in advance for my office. <laughs> yeah. So I couldn't just yep. you know, do it for a month and get bored. So that's I love another it. thing. I bore easily, so I know I won't stick at something if it's boring. So I also yep. look for ways to gamify and make things fun constantly, and that makes me much more productive. I love yeah, that. So. You'll I know love what that you so much. Uh, set up structures for it, make it fun, and you'll stick to it. I love that. Well, I'm just going to wrap the podcast up now. So, where can everyone find you on your, at your website, and where are you mostly uh, in your socials online? Sure, I'm really easy to find. TheLucyBloom.com is my website, and my social media handle is at TheLucyBloom anywhere. Um, Facebook, Instagram. I'm trying to grow Instagram. Can you just all come and love my Instagram? I'm really glad to hear you say that because I like I'm not very consistent with it but I struggle with Instagram and I watch these other people I'm like damn it what are they yeah, doing bitch and a half. Uh, you know what the only solution I have seen that really works is if you go on a reality show uh, and I would yes. rather two razor blades than go on a reality show so I'm doing it the hard yeah. way <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's so good. Well, I'm actually planning on getting your book because I run a book club uh, with Ruby Slipper Women. So we're planning on getting your book down the track. Oh, fabulous. And, um, yeah, so I'm excited that I can share, like, your podcast and the book and all that kind of stuff. So I think it'll be fantastic. And I do have book club notes on my website, in my blog. If you look back uh, to April, I think I published book club notes. So they make book club kind of fun. Awesome. Awesome. I can't wait. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really, really appreciate your time. Everyone that's listening, the Lucy Bloom, you can find her Facebook, Instagram, and just go follow her on Instagram. Just be a good person and go and do that. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Lucy. Thanks for having me. Guys, just quickly before you go, if you could do me a massive favor and please share this on your socials or head to iTunes and give us five stars. It's the only way we're going to get the message out there and create the movement where more women stand up and believe in themselves. I can't do this on my own. I really, really need your help. If you could do that for me, I would really appreciate it. Our website is coming. It will be www.rubysleeperwomen.com. So keep an eye out for that. In the meantime, please head over to Instagram at Ruby Slipper Women and give us a follow. Look forward to seeing you for the next round and thank you so much for your support.